Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland as well as the rest of the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. The big international story this week, of course, is CES in Las Vegas. And we have tons of stories about the wild and usually unobtainable tech being displayed there on our website at techcentral.ie. However, for the podcast, we have been out at something much more realistic, but equally amazing ideas-wise, and that is the BT Young Scientist Exhibition at the RDS. Niall Kitson has been on the floor chatting with some of this year's fascinating entrants and their quite incredible projects. Hello, I'm Owen Sherlin and I'm from Gallon Community School in Offaly and my project is about tackling back pain due to sitting posture and using technology. So this is a problem that I know I for one am very guilty of is slouching in my office chair. So how big and how bad a problem is for is this for people? It's a huge problem, especially in modern times. Uh, people sit like for long periods of days and weeks uh, and for most of their life, especially in school you sit for over 15,000 hours throughout your school. Humans were never meant to sit, and if you sit bad, it's just double the adverse effects that you experience when you sit too long. So it's a very big problem. It's a pandemic that we need to solve. They do say uh, sitting is the new smoking, all right. So what kind of solution did you come up up with? I mean, this this looks like a very interesting way to tell people when they're doing something bad. Yeah. So uh, what happens is bad sitting posture is when you don't sit on your sitting bones or your ischial tuberosity on your pelvis. And if you sit bad, your discs in between the joints in your spine actually can tear and they can leak a fluid called a nucleus from it and that can lead to great pain Um, so what I decided to do was to create a device that you could mount onto your chair and simply what it does is it can detect when your posture is bad whether it's uh, incorrect and it can notify the user through a pop-up message on their laptop or uh, a vibration motor on the back of their chair so in terms of hardware, you've got, a, you've got an Arduino board here and you've done a little bit of coding as well. So take me through the, uh, the ins and outs. So uh, there's a few main components to the uh, hardware part of the actual project. The first part is the chair with the sensors mounted onto it. So there are pressure sensors, so it can tell whereabouts in the chair the person is sitting. And there's a gyroscope or an angle sensor in back to make sure your chair is kept upright and not tilted back. And these are connected to the Arduino because the Arduino has multiple GPIOs or kind of places you plug and plug in your sensors. And what it does is the Arduino sends data over to the Raspberry Pi which I use to process and the Raspberry Pi can actually uh, determine whether you have bad sitting posture. The Raspberry Pi can then send data back to the Arduino to tell 
the Arduino to use the vibration motor to notify the user or send data to the laptop to tell the person using a pop-up message on their taskbar if their posture is bad. And where do you see your project going in the future? Um, if it turns out well, I hope uh, to even productize it. Uh, it could be the, another thing in the Internet of Things, a uh, smart chair, if you like. And it's very important, so I hope the judges realize this and uh, will help me uh, make this uh, product in the future a uh, sitbit, if you like. This is a project that caught my eye because... Uh, it's a problem that very often has very tragic consequences, and that's carbon monoxide inhalation around slurry pits and slurry pit management. So I'm here with a team of two girls who have investigated this problem. So uh, introduce yourself and tell us about what you've done. My name is Abby Heher, and we go to school in St. John Bosco Community College in Kildyster, County Clare. And our project is called Slurry Pit Saver. The other girl with me, beside me, is Rebecca Murphy. And what we decided to do was every year at least four people drown or die from inhalation of the fumes in slurry pits. So we decided that we wanted to reduce this number by putting beams around a slurry pit. So if someone does fall in, that the beams are broken and an alert is sent to phones in the app that we created. And this can save people's lives and we hope it can even spare just one life and it would all be worth it. I think app development comes across as something very specialised. So actually, what sort of technologies did you use in putting together the project? Um, we use um, Vertino um, MQTT to help us design our app. And we also got help from a technology specialist who helped us um, create the app. And we kind of just did it ourselves. He kind of just pointed out how to do it. And we kind of, we kind of were able to do it after that then. And where do you see this project uh, going forward? I mean, very often you hear about people turning projects in, into, uh, into products. Is this something you'd be interested in doing? Yeah, I think definitely because, like, we both live on farms. We were, we've grown up in farming backgrounds and, like, we were always well-worn to stay away from slurry pits. But I think some children mightn't be. And I would hope that farmers would be interested for themselves, for children, for silage contractors, that it could be an idea because even if it spared one life, as I said, it would all be worth it. My name is William Quinlan and I'm a transition year student in St. Joseph's College in Barcelona. And my project is called e-constituency. And so what I was looking to do was to see could uh, computer software be used to generate electoral boundaries in order to prevent gerrymandering. And gerrymandering is the bias drawing of electoral boundaries to favour one party in an election. So what I did was I took a sample of 14 electoral divisions from North to Prairie. And I took, and the local electoral area is your area you use for voting in your local elections. That's for your city or county council. Your constituency is the area you use in your national elections, let's say voting to Dáil Éireann. And so I had taken the sample, and uh, local electoral areas usually form around the major towns in the county. So I'd selected Newport and Turles, and I'd set up two lists, and I had Newport and Turles on each starting on each list so then what the code is designed to do is that it would send a message to the surrounding divisions and then they would be added if they weren't already assigned to a list and so then it would expand out until eventually all of the electoral divisions had been used but uh, I had to use census data from the last census and set up a variable for each of the electoral divisions because you need to know how many councillors need to be assigned or t- TDs need to be assigned to each area 
and so I had that done and I was able to generate a small model for the local lectural areas and I was able to map that using um, um, mapping resources from the All-Ireland Research Observatory in Maynooth. And where do you see uh, this kind of research going in future? I mean, I know this is a massive area of interest in the United States where boundaries seem to be drawn and redrawn almost uh, every time a census is taken. Do you see uh, a similar thing happening in Ireland where a census will be taken and the boundaries might be redrawn straight away on the back of it? Yeah. Well, in a constitutional term, a review has to take place every 12 years. Generally, I see that they're happening more often. Uh, coming up the year before an election, so we've had 2013 before 2014 elections and 2018 before this uh, May's um, local, elect- local elections. So where the project is going in the future is that, well, it's certainly a very important piece of technology. Um, it should be developed further and, more importantly, replicated in other countries where this is a much bigger issue, like you mentioned, in the United States. So in Ireland, I mean, there's all these accusations because there's, there's often accusations and allegations against politicians because there, isn't, there can never be certainty when you have a group of people doing, doing this important job. So what I was looking to, so the key thing then is to remove that human bias by getting it drawn by a computer. Here's a project whose uh, title caught my attention immediately. It's called Inside Out and it's by Ellen Woodward from Ursuline College in Sligo. So, Ellen, tell us a little bit, a bit about your project. It, it sort of brings to mind a certain film. Is that accurate? Yeah, I was, that was the inspiration behind it and how I, um, how I came up with the different ideas for the, dif- the colours for the different... Um, the colours for the different emotions. So the aim of my project was to create a wearable device that can read and learn emotions from physiological triggers from the autonomic nervous system. And then the Raspberry Pi then would light up a certain colour depending on what emotion you're feeling. And then this would help people, for example, people with autism who cannot express their emotions and their carers don't know what emotions they're going through. It helps the carer, both the carer and the child, understand what emotion they're going through, helps with emotional intelligence and helps the carer to help the child go through what they're experiencing. So once you developed the technology, how did you go about testing it and assessing its efficacy? So I tested it on a group of six people. I tested the temperature sensor mainly, and so I sat them down in a cool room at 20 degrees at a basic room temperature, and I attached the temperature sensor to their wrist, and I let it settle till it got to the skin temperature of about 33 degrees, which is the average skin temperature in room temperature. And then I played a video that would indicate um, fear or anger, and then I tracked it and graphed it. And what kind of response did you get from uh, your participants afterwards? Did they, did they say, wow, that, that was really accurate, or yeah. maybe there's a little bit of fine-tuning to be done? They were actually surprised at how it worked and how um, they could under- feel in their body the gra- what results I got. So they could feel that when they were experiencing fear that their temperature was decreasing. And it was, they thought it was very good to see it graphed out like that. Uh, my name is Lee McSherry and I'm from Skullfobus of Lucra in County Kerry. And you took a trip to the Uncanny Valley with a look at uh, artificial intelligence and how easy it is to convince people that it's real. Uh, well, my project is uh, about electroencephalography and how it can help emulate human empathy and emotion in artificial intelligence. So what it's basically looking at is how we can create an emotion recognition system that shows the relationship between words and um, emotions and use that to essentially 
uh, simulate and help a computer understand its own emotions and use that then to essentially empathize with others, hopefully for the use in therapy um, as a part as for both treatment and for screening in mental health. So how did you get computers to recognize individual emotions? Um, so the first part of my project was mainly about observing. So if you break learning down into observing and understanding, uh, the emotion recognition system was using EEG. So essentially there's um, an experiment where participants would be put under an electroencephalography um, procedure, listening to various TED Talk audio. We then use feature extraction to match um, the mood with um, the words that were said at that given time. We then... Um, have ourselves an emotion recognition system which we can use to help AI um, learn. So the second part of my project was about understanding. So how can we help um, AI understand this data and, and simulate its, its own emotions through processes? Um, so I broke this up into five parts. Uh, the first part I used was signal learning. So essentially um, this, this would um, teach an AI um, kind of how to simulate its own emotions through um, starting off with a given emotion and going through procedures. So um, if we've learned from the motion recognition system that an interview would be positive, it would give it a positive emotion, going through an interview would then generate a positive emotion and then we'd go on to the next stage. So essentially these simulations would um, follow the motion recognition system to move to different emotional states and then understand why this happened to the other um, learning mechanisms, one of which was rule learning, so I couldn't have AI essentially generating its own um, emotions outside of uh, the valence arousal model. Um, so this is, this is how I intend to help AI understand emotions and hopefully improve on the system um, over time. So the future of therapy could be slightly more automated than we think. Uh, exactly, yeah, yeah, hopefully so, hopefully so. Uh, not only for treatment, but mainly for screening. And there's a currently big mental health shortages for therapists. Only seven in the EU per 100,000 people, um, according to Ward magazine. So clearly, uh, we need to essentially fix this problem. And 2020 is the best, best year to start. Hi, my name is Kenzie Desmond. Hi, my name is Alice O'Callaghan. Hi, my name is Grace O'Reilly. And you're all from Kinsale Community School in Cork. Uh, now, in rugby, we talk an awful lot about winning the collisions, but collisions can be extremely scary to look at. So uh, what exactly was your project about? Um, we wanted to design and create a better facial protection to encourage interest in rugby, to get girls to play, especially girls, as they feel like it's, it's not a safe sport and they would feel more comfortable playing with it. So what you have uh, in front of me now is... Um, two prototypes and a, and a final design so tell me a little bit about how they came about so um, we designed our first prototype and we tested it on 10 different players in our club and we got feedback from them they said it wasn't comfortable enough and they couldn't see themselves playing with it so that's how our second prototype came out and it was a lot more protected and but it was a bit too uh, padded so our, we came up with our final design from comparing the two first prototypes first two prototypes and um, we tested on players all the same players and they said that they could see themselves playing with that that it was more comfortable and they felt very protected they felt a lot safer and more confident going into a tackle although they know it will only reduce it could reduce the risk of lacerations it won't prevent it I think that's a really interesting point that it's going to reduce impact and, and not take away the effect completely so 
when you were getting people to participate in the study, were these people that were playing already or was it people that were considering taking up the sport? Um, it was, there was 10 players from our local rugby club that already play rugby, but then we, or we surveyed the players' parents to see if they would be interested in like, using the prototypes and would they like, get involved more other people. And where do you see the device going in future? Do you think you'll be able to trial it with you know, semi-pro or professional teams? Um, we were hoping after this to see where, where this takes us, to see if people are interested and would they be willing to pay extra for a more protected scrum cap with like, facial protection. Um, we, were one, we were focusing just on getting people interested and then seeing if it could work now is what we want to know. Like, Lastly, I guess when people think of head protection in a contact sport, they're thinking either you know a scrum cap or a, 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 an American football helmet. So uh, what were your design cues that, that you were taking from it? What made you decide that, okay, we're not going with a hard helmet, let's go to scrum cap? Well, the scrum cap was, is the original um, safety measure for rugby. And we, what we wanted to put in as our original design was to put in goggles. But we went to the IRFU and met with the head of medical, head of women's development and head of national development. And they told us that they were already working on goggles in the ARIS programme, Irish Rugby Injury Surveillance. So we decided to go with our own facial protection away from the goggles and we decided to use the same material that is used in the scrum cap because it's approved by World Rugby. Hi, my name's Niall Mead. I'm from Arts Gallery in Limerick. My project is Scooter, making electric scooters safer and more insurable using artificial intelligence. Electric scooters at the moment are becoming very popular but they're technically legal because you can't get insurance for them. Um, also, they're very unsafe. Um, I aim to tackle uh, these two problems with my project. I aim to tackle the safety problem using a helmet classifier, which decides if you've a helmet on or not. If you've a helmet on, you'll be allowed to drive the scooter. If not, you won't be. The terrain classifier um, decides what terrain you're on. And if you're on, say, grass or snow, for example, it'll, it'll limit how fast you can go. The insurance side of my project, um, insurance... the the insurance problem is literally just a, a data problem. They don't understand electric scooters because they don't have enough data on them. So I've created an app for an Android app that connects to the scooter that will collect journey data and post it up to the central database that can then be um, pulled back down on a web app that I've developed um, for the insurance companies to look at. And what sort of uptake have you seen so far? Have you presented it to any companies and they've gone, oh, this is a really good idea? Yeah, so um, at the moment, uh, I'm just kind of coming out of development, but I'm looking to talk to an actuary in AXA. Um, if I'm looking to develop it further, I want to know what kind of statistics I should be looking to pull down from the scooter for him to be able to decide what premiums each user should get. So that's, that's the next step with regards to going forward. One problem we cover an awful lot on this show is that of women in STEM and how to get more women interested in STEM. And one team from St. Mary's Secondary School in Cork has been looking at this very problem and spatial awareness and its relationship to it. So uh, I have one of the team members here, so introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your project. Hi, my name is Ellie. Um, so our project basically sees if there's a link between being good at spatial awareness tests and the amount of women in STEM. So what we found is there isn't a link because we asked a lot of people to take part in spatial awareness tests and we found that no gender is better at spatial awareness tests. So therefore, um, we've come up with a different reason though for why there is less women in STEM than men. And it's because 
um, STEM is generally a male-dominated area of careers and um, a study has shown that if females had a female role model to look up to in the STEM careers then more would tend to go into that field um, so, that's, so there's no link between being good at spatial awareness and a gender. And what sort of role models did you find uh, or do you look up to in STEM? Um, I suppose the obvious Marie Curie is the main one because um, well, me personally I'm very interested in medicine so she's definitely a big role model of mine. Hello, my name is Michael Doyle. I study in St. Vincent's High School. My team's project was aimed at developing a computer algorithm that can write four-part harmony. The idea came from this, for this project came from my own study of four-part harmony, which is uh, particularly in the Horal style, which is the basis for most functional harmony. I then thought that a computer could automate the methods and adhere to the principles of a human composer, and I decided to test the outputs from uh, the computer in a Turing test against that of a human composer. And the results obtained suggest that a human ear cannot distinguish between the chorales composed by a computer and those composed by a human. Hello, my name is Erlene. My name is Marie. And my name is Kira. And you're addressing with the most wonderful props possible. They're like zagabongs, only with uh, pictures on top. Uh, the wonderful problem, uh, wonderful in inverted commas, of uh, cognitive decline and dementia. So tell us a little bit about what your project was. Uh, so my our project is about uh, dementia. So my granny has dementia and she was put into a nursing home a few years ago. And uh, so we want to show pictures to see if they can recall their memory. So my, if my granny, so if my mum went in, sometimes she wouldn't know her name, what day it was. So if a visitor went in and mum would go in later and ask, did you have any visitors today? And she wouldn't remember, so she'd say no. So um, we are trying to see, the in, we're trying to use this app to try and get them to interact and kind of recall their memory. So uh, you're basically using algorithms uh, in your methodology. So tell us about uh, the two algorithms you are using, the crisp boundary algorithm and the fuzzy logic algorithm. The crisp boundary algorithm relates an input metric to a category. Um, For example, time spent on a photo was divided into low, uh, medium and high. And fuzzy logic. Um, We chose to use fuzzy logic as it is multivariate. So we can go into more detail and calculate the interest in a deeper. So our, the four stages to fuzzy logic are linguistic variables, membership function, fuzzy rule set and defuzzification. Our linguistic variables were duration, interaction and browsing. And our defuzzification then is basically our output, which takes two other steps into account. I'm Daniel Padmore. I'm Gareth Neely. I'm Sham Shaji. And uh, your project is on using 3D printed generators to convert water in pipes into electricity. So tell us a little bit about where the idea for the project came from. 
Um, well, water in households is being wasted every day. Loads of people ha- keep their taps on and that kind of thing. So we were thinking, is there any way to use this wastewater as a form of renewable energy? And um, from our research, it is actually possible. And we've designed a generator that actually could be used in households by regular people. So how did the design uh, come about? Well, we designed it ourselves using a technology called SolidWorks. So with the help of teachers who helped us use the technology, we were able to design the generator and using 3D printers in our school and in a nearby IT, we were able to 3D print the generator. So, from And we also bought the, mechanical, the metal materials to apply to the generator so that we can actually make it work. And we now have a successfully working generator, very cheap. And how effective have you found your prototype to be so far? Uh, so far, we uh, the prototype costs about thirty-eight fifty uh, to manufacture, and it produces about one kilowatt hours a day. And if we run the numbers, uh, it would take about three hundred eight days to remake the cost of manufacture. My name is Sarah Richardson. and I'm Anya Milner. We're from Burst King Community College in County Tipperary. Um, we did our project on um, comparing the different generations and their TV habits. So when we're looking at uh, the generations, you focused on three in particular, Generation X, Y and Z. So put, put a shape on this. Who are these people? Uh, so Generation Z is basically the age category 4 to 24 years old. Uh, millennials are 25 to uh, 40 years old no 39 years old and then generation X is 40 to 54 years old and we found out that um, the total screen time of generation Z which is the youngest generation is over 5 hours compared to generation uh, X which is only around an hour and that uh, cable TV time, the average is about half an hour to an hour. Uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting about your findings was that cable TV is definitely not dead, and kind of it's kind of evenly spread almost throughout the generations. Yeah, well, b- from doing research, we basically discovered that the younger generation, Generation X, is using um, streaming services a lot more, but they still watch cable TV at the same time. Um, whether it's compared to the uh, compared to the older generations, they use cable TV a lot more, probably because when they were growing up, they were raised watching cable TV and not using streaming services. But we think now that cable TV has to kind of adapt and change its ways, as in the future it probably will go downhill and not be used anymore if they don't adapt to um, things now. So, uh, my name is Noah Marek, and I'm from Athlone Community College. And my... Um, project is called the Autonomous Fire Detection and Warning Drone. And originally, well, the idea is that there's a, there would be a drone that would survey a specific area and go around that area in a specific pattern. And if, if it detects a fire, it would then send a signal to the nearest fire station and telling them the exact location of that fire and in what sector they found it. And this is very useful because of the fact that usually when there's a forest fire they spread too quickly 
and when people notice them it's already too late and you can't really extinguish it you can only control it until it dies down so this is why we try to come up with it because we really wanted to help um, the environment Hi, my name is Sarah Ryan Purcell and I'm from Sculvera Cork. Um, my project is World of Robots Child Robot Interactions. So essentially, um, with the ever-growing influence of technology on our society, I wanted to investigate whether children perceive robots as living things and whether they attribute living qualities such as feelings, emotions, autonomy to the, ch- to the robot and what factors influence that decision. So what methodology did you use to come to uh, investigate this problem? So I decided to go about it by a means of a survey and interview. So I first um, prepared a video of a short, a short video of the robot Cosmo using Python 3 and then I showed them the video to prepare them for the survey and then it was a five question survey using the Likert scale to score it from zero to three. The higher the score then and the more animate they believed the robot to be. And were you surprised by your results at all? Um, Not terribly, I suppose. Uh, My results indicated that age is a huge influence on whether they'll um, attribute living qualities to the robot. I was quite surprised that um, some older children still attributed living qualities. They thought maybe the robot could think for itself, that even that the robot had breakfast in the morning. Um, which is interesting and also gender proved not to be a significant factor so um, it's, uh, there's no significant difference between male and female responses. So uh, basically robots will be the new pets? That's the plan. <laughs> and that was Niall Kitson at the BT Young Scientists Exhibition. Next week we'll be chatting about our highlights from the grown-ups version of the Young Scientists Exhibition CES in Las Vegas and some of our favourite highlights. Until then, remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or of course listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. So next time, uh, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, I'm from Niall Kitson at the Young Scientist Exhibition. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.